do thank Pastor Brooks for the opportunity to preach, and I do thank each of you in your own special way for helping us as we moved here. Um, everyone had a part, whether it be bringing food or helping us when we got in with moving uh, the stuff out of the truck or whatever it was, you had a part, and I thank you for it. I know this is not everybody here in this gathering, but uh, I do thank you, and we're excited to see what God has. i got to get right to the message because um, this is a little bit more notes than I normally have. So I say that, and you're all going to go, oh, no. But we'll see if I can get through it. If I can't, I'm just going to start chucking stuff as I go. And uh, we'll get to the end. We'll figure out a way to get to the end. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. What's that? Well, we'll, just, we'll see how it goes. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read. I want to read this chapter. Uh, the Lord laid this passage on my heart after Pastor Brooks had asked me to do this lesson. And uh, obviously there's a reason why he wants me to uh, do this lesson. But, uh, and I'm just going to ask. I've been asking the Lord and trusting that the Lord's going to use it in whatever way he needs to use it. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Let's skip down to verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speak the truth in love, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is ahead, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all in cleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not, the sin go down upon, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that steal, steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth 
but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed into the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with, from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one or the, another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that we have to look into. And I pray that you'd help me, Lord, as I give what you have laid on my heart, that Holy Spirit, you would guide my words and my thoughts, that Holy Spirit, you would then do what you only can do, and that is take it and apply it to our hearts and use it in our lives in whatever way you would see fit. And I claim your promise that, you will not, that your word will not return void, but that it will accomplish what, it, what you want it to accomplish. We do thank you for this church. We thank you for the many people here and all that they mean to each and one of us. Lord, we do thank you for what you've done on the cross of Calvary. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this morning I want to speak or teach or however you want to say it on, the unit, on unity in the church. Uh, the book of Ephesians, just kind of as a way of introduction, because I'm teaching instead of preaching, I tried to make it a little more teachy. Um, the book of Ephesians is a letter from Paul to the Christians who were in the local New Testament church of Ephesus. Most of us we know. Ephesus was, in the, uh, chief, was the chief city of the coastal area of Asia Minor. Ephesians was written around 60 AD during Paul's house arrest in Rome. And this is one of the four of Paul's letters that were written in prison. The others were Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And these were all known together as the prison epistles. The letter or the epistle is divided into two sections. We have the first three chapters that outline the blessings and the spiritual wealth that we have in Christ. It's more theological, as Paul is good at doing. And uh, then the second uh, half of the book, the last three chapters are more uh, of, about the walk, our walk in the image of Christ, a little more practical. And it's hard because of those first three chapters to really be able to determine a particular purpose for the letter. But it seems that, uh, that, the, that the main theme of the epistle is unity in the church. This is shown by the reoccurrence of certain words and phrases, such as the word together. You'll notice that is used a lot. Gather together in 1, chapter 1, verse 10. Quickened us together, chapter 2, verse 5. Raised us up together and made us to sit together, chapter 2, verse 6. Build it together, chapter 2, verse 22, and you get the idea. Then the second word uh, that you see that indicates this idea of unity is the word one. One new man in chapter 2, verse 15. One body in chapter 2, verse 16. One spirit in chapter 2, verse 18. And then in chapter 4, the chapter we just read, the theme of unity is especially highlighted in this chapter where Paul reminds us, while living a life worthy of the calling that we have received in Christ, we are called to live in unity as a body of believers through one Lord, one spirit, and one hope. And having laid that foundation, that foundation of the blessings that Christ has given us, salvation, and then having uh, understood God's command to unity, then in verses 17 through 24, where I'm going to really get into a little more depth, Paul gives a practical outline, I believe, of how to be unified. Now, while these practical principles can be applied really to any relationship, all relationships need unity whether it be our church relationships, our, 
our marriage relationships, our friendships, all, all, all relationships need unity. But because this was Paul was writing to the church of Ephesus, I believe that this is especially applicable to that of the church and unity within the church. So I want to look at very quickly in the first point, the call for unity. We see that in verses 1 through 16, and that's why I say i got to go very quickly through it, because that's a lot of uh, verses, and if I do an exegesis of all of them, we'd be here until I don't know when. So we won't do that. Um, so verses 1 through 16 gives us the call for unity. Look at verse 1. It says, walk worthy. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you or implore, implore you to, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Of course, this vocation is not referring to our job here on this earth as far as like our, you know, what we do on Monday through Friday, 8 to 5 p.m. or whatever you work. We all know that this is referring to us as Christians and, it's our, and it refers to our salvation. Uh, this, is not a, this is not a job. Our salvation is not a job. It's a calling. A calling is a lot more important. I, I, I wanted to go into more depth there, but I just knew it, it wouldn't, there's not enough time. A calling is a lot different than a job. Technically, I get, I'm getting paid to be the principal of, of the school, or assistant principal now and the principal later. That, but it's still not a job. It's a calling. It's what God has called me to do. And I, it's more important. Um, jobs, you can kind of switch around if you get tired of them. A calling, you know God has called you to it, and you stay with it because that's what you're supposed to do. Our salvation is a calling. And you notice that this is not the only time that you see this idea of, of, of a calling. Christ in the New Testament, just in the Gospels alone, there were six times where Christ said, Come unto me. The most familiar one was Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, and all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It was a calling. He called not only these people, but he calls people to come, to come to him for salvation. And so we see here that Paul really was admonishing these people Gentiles to walk worthy of their calling, their salvation, to live worthy. So we see that in verse 1. Then verses 2 through 3, we see the, uh, just an outline, some qualifications of, of this walk. Um, we see that it says to, that we are to do it with lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I want to highlight something in this, with this idea of unity here. Notice it says, Paul describes this unity as the unity of the Spirit. Think about what the Spirit was given to us to do. John chapter 16, verse 13 says, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. The basis of unity, biblical unity, is the truth of the Word of God. But contrast that with the new evangelical idea of unity. It is not, the basis is not truth of God's Word. So just a couple things about biblical unity. Biblical unity involves those who are regenerated by and led by the Spirit of God. Romans is very clear that if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're none of His. Romans 8 verse 9. Now, I'm not saying that we should go out and just kick everybody that we see that are not saved or walk up and hit them across the head and act like an idiot. Obviously, we all know that that's not implied by what I said. But the new evangelical crowd wants to just 
Everybody unified. There's no difference. It's all, we're all of one faith. There's all one road that leads to heaven. Everything is just... We've got to be careful. The Bible, God's Word, the truth that the Holy Spirit gives us is what leads us to, to be unified. And that's the basis. Secondly, biblical unity is of one faith. It's that faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And it says that God's people are to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude verse 3. So biblical unity is not only involves those who are regenerated and led by the Spirit of God, but it also it involves one faith. It's impossible apart from that one faith that was once delivered to us. And then thirdly, biblical, is, biblical unity is found in the local New Testament church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 was a command given to the church of Ephesus. It was primarily addressed to them. I'm, again, I'm not saying that Christians should not be unified. As in, you, we have many Baptist churches. We have many churches of like faith. We, you know, there's many other churches that preach the word of God, that have the word of God as their basis. I'm not saying you can't be unified with them, that we should be an, an enemy against them, but it was primarily addressed to the local New Testament church. Therefore, as a, each local New Testament church, we ought to be unified. It's first and foremost, and then that spreads into other churches of like faith. So that phrase is very important to really the crux of the whole message, to understand what unity is. Now, another thing that's important for us to understand here is that, it's, that while maintaining that biblical unity, we must do it in a bond of peace. It says that there, and in love. Sorry, but some churches today, biblical Baptist churches have forgot that. And they kick people while they're down. And we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. It says, verse 15 of this chapter, but speaking the truth in love. Now, biblical love, might I add, because biblical love says that the kisses of an enemy you know, or sorry, I'm, I'm trying to think of the verse that talks about the, the fact that uh, as a friend, sometimes you, you have to go to them and say something you don't really want to say, but it's the truth. But we do it in love. We do it with the right attitude. And I'm trying to think of that verse, and I obviously can't remember it. But you know where I'm referring to. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. There you go. I was getting the other one mixed up, the kisses of an enemy. So that, I didn't want to bring that one up. Um, you all know which one I'm referring to. The faithful are the wounds of a friend. Thank you, Lisa. So we, we need to remember that, yes, we're unified. Yes, truth is the basis, but we do it in love and we do it in peace. We are to be at peace with all men. As much as life and you live, with, live, at peace, you know, live peaceably among all men, with all men. So that's very important. Then in verses 4 through 6, we see that Paul further illustrates the need for unity by noting seven examples of unity which God established. We have one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And then in verses 7 through 16, we see that Paul describes the diversity of the church. He talks about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts is an interesting topic, but it's a good topic. You don't hear a lot about it, but it's a good one. And I, I've done some study on it. I've taught a little bit on it. Today, we're not teaching on it. But it's, it's, I'd encourage you to look into it. We all have gifts. We all are part of this body. We all have different things that make the body complete, the body of the church complete. And so he see, Paul describes that, and he says, while there's diversity of leadership, there's diversity of gifts, some apostles, some prophets, you can still be unified. 
And then in verses 17 to 24, Paul gives the practical outline of how to be unified. And we see that it begins in our heart. It begins in the inner man. So we see the call for unity in verses 1 through 16. Then we secondly see the reason for disunity in verses 17 through 21. The reason for disunity in a church or any individual relationship begins with the old man. It begins with the lusts of our heart. That's where disunity begins. And in order, for, in order to have unity in the church, Paul was telling the people in the church of Ephesus that they had to crucify their old man. They had to crucify those lusts. Notice that in verse 17, he doesn't exactly say, but he's saying here that they are to not walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And it's in that context of unity. And then in verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts in the context of unity. And then you might be thinking of James chapter 4. What does James chapter 4 verse 1 says? From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? And it goes on to describe how we lust and have not, we kill and desire to have and, we, and can obtain. We fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Now, that is especially a description of the lost and the world, but I'm sorry to say, and it's sad to say, sometimes churches are full of the same exact thing. We're at each other. It's a dog fight. It's just that dog-eat-dog world, and it shouldn't be. Paul was reminding these converted Gentiles that had been saved and changed that they were not to work, walk as these unconverted Gentiles in the lust of their mind and the vanity of their mind. In order for us here at Liberty Baptist Tabernacle in any church, I know we have visitors here, whatever church you go to, in order for you to be unified in your local New Testament body of believers, it has to start in our personal lives. It has to start in our inner man. We have to do what verses 17 to 24 says for us to do. And then that will then work into our church. We can solve conflicts. Trust me, there's going to be conflicts. There's going to, sometimes we just ain't, we didn't walk up, uh, wake up on this wrong, uh, we, wait, we woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I'll get it all out sometime. We woke up on the wrong side of the bed and we come into the church and we are just a little kind of cranky. A little irritable, maybe. And maybe we're not walking in the Spirit like we should. And, and yes, the Lord's working in our hearts. And, and there's going to be things that come up. But we can solve those conflicts. And we can live in unity if we put off the behavior of the old man. And we put on the behavior of the new man. Now, I don't have time to go through the, the, the uh, characteristics of the Gentiles' walk. There's a lot there. Uh, just in, packed into the, verses 17, verses 18, verses 19, describe how they walked and the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened. And, and I would encourage you to study that and think about that and try to really get out from that some things because I think sometimes we allow these things in our lives as Christians. We allow us to be caught up in the greediness and the, you know, it talks about in verses 19 to work all in cleanness with greediness. Now, we may not be a part of the uncleanness, but sometimes as Christians, we get greedy. Our minds are filled with just getting money. And, and of course, money is a necessary evil. Um, I, my wife and I always joke when she asked me, you know, do we have enough in a bu the budget for a certain thing? I say, well, money's just relative. It'll all work out on its own, you know. <laughs> and I say that in jest because really it doesn't just work out, you know, and it doesn't just somehow kind of make its way, you know. But 
but it is true, the Lord's going to take care of our needs. And, and yes, we work, and yes, we go and we do that, but the Lord's going to take care of it. But we get caught up in the greediness. We get caught up in that, that idea that the, that the lost have, and, and maybe not to the same degree, but it's still there. And what happens is because of that, then that spreads to our churches, and that spreads to our relationships, and that spreads to the, into the church, and then our, uni- our unity is not the way it should be. And we, and we even apply that in our relationships with each other. We get, we get to where we don't want to spend time with people because we got to go and work. We got to do, you know, we just get, or even our families. Um, so there's a lot there. I don't have time to go through it. And I knew I probably would end up having to cut that all out. It's good stuff, though. Um, so there, I'm going very quickly through all those verses. Um, you can read it really fast. I should have it up on the screen just flipping through. All right. Um, but I want to just point out something. As we think about those, those, the description there, notice it says that they walk in the vanity of their mind. All of those things below there in verses 18 and 19 all stem from the vanity of their mind. So as we see in this passage, as we progress through the passage, and we think about the descriptions of the unsaved, notice the key role that their minds, their thinking, have in the futility and the darkness that they're in. But then notice how Paul then takes it and, he's, and he shows how important the role of our thinking in our mind is in being unified, being right with God. Notice he says in verse, 20, um, verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Our minds are very powerful things. And really the battle begins in our mind. I am, I'm just so... More and more, the more I, the, lot, the more I get older, the, the, the older I get, however you want to say that, obviously I'm not very good at English, um, I'll get it all out. Um, you're probably thinking, why did we call him to be the principal? He can't even speak. <laughs> um, well, remember Moses, and uh, <laughs> the Lord will help me. So um, back to what I was saying. I do ramble, too. You ask anybody that has been under me teaching in the high school back at Fairhaven, ask him. I ramble and ramble, and I just got to... See on the course here. That's probably why I don't get through stuff. Um, but Paul is saying here that really our fo- the foundation of our problem is our mind. And that's why he really took the time in the first three chapters to talk about our newfound faith in Christ. And really set that up. And, and then he goes on to talk about what the, the lost do and the futility that, that, that they're, think- they're thinking, how futile it is and how, how much darkness is in their thinking. But we're different. And notice that Repentance, what is repentance? Repentance is a change of mind about our sin that results in a change of life. So it all begins in our mind. Um, And he goes then on verse, let's go down to verse 20 and 21. But he says, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as as the truth is in Jesus. Then he goes on that ye put off. Let's just look at those two verses real quick. Paul's referring and telling his readers to, to remember He's referring back to that calling. He's referring back to the knowledge of Christ. He said that the phrase learned that they, ye have, but ye have not so learned Christ refers to the salvation. And he was saying that when they got saved, he changed them. He made them like himself. He delivered them from being like the world. And so we're different. Our thinking's different. And when a person claims to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and still lives like the world, either they're deceived and deceiving themselves or they're liars. 
I didn't say it. The word of God says it. James 4, 4 says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. 1 John 2, verse 3 through 6, and hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, and notice this, in him verily is the love of God perfected. The love of God. What, what trait are we known by as Christians? That we love one another. That we're unified. And it says here, if we keep our, God's word, what is perfected? The love of God. Therefore, the unity of the Spirit is perfected as well. And then he says, Hereby know, ye, know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. So as a Christian, as a born-again believer, we strive, not like the lost, to just get everything we can get, do all the uncleanness. We strive to look to work God's word and discern what God says, follow his spirit, walk in the spirit. And that results in a life that's pleasing to the Father. And then, really, it's what Pastor Brooks was, has been teaching on on Wednesday nights in Philippians chapter 2. When we do that, we fulfill Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We'll do what that, that verse is saying. So we see the call to unity. We see the reason for disunity and then lastly, let's look at this quickly and very simply and practically speaking, let's look at lastly the process towards unity. The process towards unity. We see that in verses 22 through 30, 32, which I'll only do the really just 22 through 24 and I'll just in conclusion summarize the last um, few verses there from 25 to 32. But we see first of all, the first step towards unity as a church very simply is to put off. Put off what? Put off, that ye put off concerning the former conversation or behavior that is the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. It's like, you know, I, I enjoy getting dirty. I get, enjoy getting sweaty. I enjoy doing some work, but I also enjoy when I can rip off those clothes, get some new clothes on, get all cleaned up. I like that fresh, that fresh feel. But the old man is dirty. He's corrupt. He's filthy. But you know, the old man was stripped off when we got saved. And we're, we need to make sure that it stays stripped off. But we know too well that the old man's still there. And he still is remaining alive and well within each one of us, even after salvation. It says here that, it, that, that the old man is, dis, is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. The old man is deceitful and filled with lust, and he's growing ever more corrupt. And if we're not careful, he will enslave us in those old habits, those old ways of living that the Lord delivered us from, and that causes disunity. You know, it's interesting. I was studying, and I found this, that the Romans were, were known. I didn't know this. Um, having taught history, I'd never read this. But supposedly, hopefully this person was correct in what they said, the Romans were known to take a murderer and stake him down to the ground. Then they would put, uh, place the body of his victim on top of him, face-to-face, hand-to-hand, and foot-to-foot. As the corpse rotted, corruption would eat into the murderer and destroy his life. Now, that's very descriptive and very grotesque. And I'm sorry for if you have a very weak stomach and you might not have eaten breakfast this morning. But um, 
this is a perfect example of how the flesh operates. Its depravity eats into our lives. And if, and if it's not kept under control, it's going to destroy our lives eventually. We have to do what Romans, verses six, or Romans chapter 6, verse 11 says, likewise reckon, that is take an inventory, conclude, ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have to do that every single day, sometimes even more than once a day. There's, there's times, I always say this, there's times I go and I, 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 I'm, I get my devotions in, I pray, I'm, I'm walking the Spirit, I walk up the stairs, and that quick, I got to pray again. Because something happens, and, and the, the old man wants to come right up and creep right up in there, and all, whatever I struggle with comes out. It's a process. So we need to put off, put off. And, and even in the church setting, somebody might come up, and they don't mean to be mean to you. They don't mean to say it in a way that sounds mean. They're just trying to be helpful. And maybe they just don't have the gift of tact. But, you know... <laughs> They're trying to be helpful. We have to be in the spirit and be able to understand that and just, you know, take what they say and, and look at the good in it. We're good at looking at the bad. I'm working on my kids with that. Man, they just, they're always thinking of the bad. I'm like, we go out to, you know, play in the creek and we go out to do this and they just have to see all the bad and what, I'm like, guys, see the good. At least dad and mom are trying to help you have some fun here. At least we're not sitting at home staring at the walls. But, you know, we do that same thing as adults. We just do it a lot more um, maturely. We kind of make it look better. We have a way of making it look really good. But really, at the heart of it, it's the same exact thing. They just don't know how to mask it. They just, it's all out there, especially Levi. You'll find out Levi is all out there. Either he all loves you, loves you with all he's got, or basically he hates you with all he's got. And he's bad with all he's got. So he's just going to do with all he's got. And... Praise the Lord, and I'm praying that I can figure out how to channel that energy. So, all right, so put off. Then secondly, be renewed. Be renewed, verse 23. It says, not only that we put off concerning the former lesson, then verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And I didn't go through it, uh, but the, the lost sinner, I guess I kind of touched on it. We touched on how the, the mind of the lost sinner is, is given over to vanity and futility. And they just give themselves to things that are empty of value. And that really results in them destroying their lives. But the saint of God, the Christian, on the other hand, is to walk with a renewed mind. And God's given us everything we need to do that. He's given us a new, a new thinking about our sin. He's giving us a, given us a new thinking about what we are and who we are. And an integral part of the new life involves the renewing of the mind. And we have to remember that, that really when we got saved, when we repented, we changed our minds and we got to keep it changed. We got to work on it. And when our thinking's changed, then our life's going to be changed. And like I said, victory is in the Christian life begins in the mind. And where we see that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Do you have strongholds in your life today? I'm sure you do. Maybe you're a better Christian than I. But we all, I'm joking and in jest, we all have strongholds. But it says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know, that right there is a full-time job, more than a full-time job, right there. 
we'll stop getting mad at each other if we just work on our thoughts. Man, there's no time to worry about everybody else. There's no time to get mad at each other. That's a lot right there. Think about that. Every thought. How many thoughts go through our mind a day? I wish I would have looked up the statistic of that. That's, I'm sure, millions of thoughts. And they're probably not all saintly. They're not all saintly. Um, So we need to be renewed. That's very important. Put off, then be renewed, then lastly, put on. Verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Just as we are to strip off the old man of sin, we are to put on the new man who is created. Notice it says, verse 24, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. We all know that really when we were saved, we were given the ability to please the Lord. We, before salvation, because of Adam's sin, our, the image that we were created in, the image of God that we were created in, was marred. But when we get saved, he recreates us. He recreates that new man. And he gives us the ability. He gives us, and it says in 2 Peter verse one, chapter 1, verse 4, he says that we are made partakers of, of the divine nature. So when we're saved, we're recreated. Our minds, we're given what we need to be saved, to be able to think differently and to put on what we ought to put on. It really is, a, it's really embodied, this idea of putting on the new man is really embodied in, chap, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that talks about how we are to li- that Christ lives in us, that the old man is crucified and it's Christ that's living in us. We're not yet perfect, but we have been changed. We've been given all that we need to live lives of righteousness and true holiness before the Lord. But we have to actively yield ourselves to the Spirit of the Lord within us and allow Him to walk in to allow Him to walk in us day by day. We must crucify that flesh. So as we conclude, with about three minutes before the first buzzer so that I'm prepared and I don't jump when I hear it, which actually it's not as um, annoying as the old one used to be. So that's good. So it won't probably scare me. Um, I noticed that as soon as that one went off last week, I noticed it was different because for years, I remember that. Um, That's totally side thought. Wow. We got to get back here. Um, Verses 25 through 32. We see in conclusion that Paul describes the marks and I don't have time, but he describes the marks of the mature Christian. And really, again, in that context of the unity of the church, really it's the mark of a maturing church. These things that he describes in verses 25 to 32 should be put out of our church, not only our individual lives, but it really should be put out of our church. And as we do that, we are being mature Christians. And he, he focuses how we act, how a Christian should act, how a Christian should react, and how a Christian should interact with his fellow believer. Now notice that for the maturing believer, and this is important, that the emphasis in life is removed from self and focused on others. Before in that last, in verse 19, greediness, the, the word that it's always translated from is covet, or the word that it's always translated as is covetousness. What is covetousness? It's all about self. That's the old flesh. That's the old man. That's the unsaved. But as you read verses 25 through 32, you notice that that shift, that there's a shift in that emphasis, and it's now on others and not self. 
So we can conclude that the baby Christian lives this kind of self-centered life. This self-centered, selfish existence. But the maturing Christian has come to understand that the world's a lot bigger than he is. And he cares about the lives of others. And that shows in the relationships that that mature Christian has in the church among the believers. And as I already said, remember the defining trait that Christ said that we as Christians have, that we love one another, John chapter 13, verse 35. So may it be in our church that we are not baby Christians, but that we are maturing Christians that are focused more on others than ourselves. And that'll create that unity. You know, Pastor Brooks wants our church to go forward for the Lord. But until we get unified, I'm not not necessarily saying we're not. I'm just saying, until we're unified, I'm just saying, it's a a truth. I've just been here um, two weeks. I I don't know. And, And nor do I need to know. But I just know my flesh doesn't want to be unified. Okay, I'm just, we all know that. So as we work towards unity, that mission, that vision that God has given to Pastor Brooks will be worked out because we will be a team. We will be unified. We will go forward for Christ. And we will be what Christ wants us to be. So may we pray and ask God to show us areas maybe where we're not unified. Where we're causing disunity. Maybe little areas. Sometimes it's just little things. But they cause disunity. May we be unified, as Paul has said in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your love. Thank you for what Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. And we thank you for the change that has brought, been brought in our lives through salvation. The, the change of thinking, the change of, of attitude, the change of then our lifestyle. And I pray that as Christians, as members of this local New Testament church, that you would help us to be unified. May we would get behind the vision that you've given to Pastor Brooks. May we get behind your word and follow it and do what we ought to do as Christians in this local New Testament church. We thank you for each one here. Each one of them are special in their own way to me and my family, and I thank you for them. Thank you for the hospitality and the love that's already been shown. And I do thank you for this church. Bless the rest of the the service. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would continue to work in our hearts. Give Pastor Brooks power as he preaches this morning. And I pray even for tonight with the testimonies from the teens that you would just use that as well. Thank you for the good week that they had and how you worked in their hearts. We do thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.